Welcome to the U.S. Family Office RealEstate.com podcast with your host, DJ Van Curen. Each podcast is about real estate-related topics specifically for family offices. Now your host, DJ Van Curen. Welcome to U.S. Family Office RealEstate.com. Uh, today we've got John Egan, who's a freelance writer who writes for a number of publications and clients. And one of the areas that he covers is real estate, which obviously being a uh, podcast all about real estate and family offices, um, you know, we, we welcome John here today. John, thanks for uh, being on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. So, John, can you tell me a little bit more about, um, you know, your experience with real estate and, and, you know, some of the various people you've written for or publications that you've written for? Sure. So um, my experience with commercial real estate started back in the late 90s, uh, working for the business journals, uh, both in St. Louis and Austin. And uh, once I became a freelance writer, one of the uh, folks I wrote for was, and still do, is National Real Estate Investor. And that's how I've um, gotten to write a lot about high net worth investors and family offices um, and their investments in the real estate sector. Fantastic. So with, with that being said, can you tell me a little bit about some of that experience with the people that you've interviewed, you know, that, that has dealt with the topics on family offices or high net worth and real estate? Sure. So usually it's uh, folks who either are directly involved in investment, meaning advisors or managers uh, or, uh, people who are analysts who are very familiar with the sector and can kind of give a global view of, of what's going on um, with investment. So how many years have you written um, about these groups and, and real estate? Oh, off and on, it's been a number of years. I'd say it probably has been about 10 years. Um, recently, I became wow. immersed in high net worth investing and family office investing because that was a quote unquote beat that was assigned to me by a national real estate investor. So I've been much more focused on that, I'd say over the past six months or so. Uh, but that's something I've written about in the past before, just not as regularly as I do now. Wow. That is something because um, I'll tell you what, is that, you know, definitely, obviously, the real estate cycle has been, been kicking in and has been for a while, um, but family offices is continuing to grow, uh, not only the number of family offices, but also the awareness uh, of, of family offices. So over those 10 years, you know, from where you started talking and, and writing with, whether it's a family office or high net worth, I would imagine more high net worth back at that time than family offices. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I, I think family offices have become more prominent in uh, the real estate sector. Um, a lot of them are still kind of behind the scenes and, and you know, not necessarily high visibility, but they are start, that it's starting to be more um, noticeable to people who are both inside and outside um, that category. So what are the you know, what have you seen as some of the changes in relation to real estate investing in these segments and the high net worth and, and uh, uh, the family offices from, you know, back when you started till till now? 
Well, I guess one thing that I think was, at least in my mind, uh, kind of a misnomer was that uh, family offices and high net worth investors were mainly interested in flashy uh, properties in gateway markets like New York City or San Francisco. Um, and while that still is the case with certain investors like a Bill Gates or a Michael Dell, when you get down to um, perhaps not quite at that level, but at a, at a lower level within high net worth or family office, you see that a lot of them are interested in yield, and it doesn't necessarily matter where it is. And a lot of times they will go outside um, those gateway markets because they're not having to compete as much necessarily with um, institutional investors or foreign investors. And so maybe if they go to, for instance, a secondary or tertiary market or a non-gateway market, um, they have a better chance of bidding on property than if they were uh, trying to compete head-to-head -head in uh, a market like New York or San Francisco. You know, it's interesting because, um, and, and also that the assets aren't as large, right, as they are oh, yes. as pricey in some of those other sectors. I mean, I used to live in New York, and it's funny because, you know, you pay 40000 for a building where in another market might only cost five. <laughs> you're getting exactly. the, you know, the same size building and whatnot, so you can, you can definitely play at different levels. You know, the other thing, too, that's interesting is, is you, you hit a point which – um, you know, has been a point of discussion with these gateway cities. And I was um, talking with a friend of mine, and, and he actually had a group that did a little research on secondary and tertiary cities compared to first-tier cities. And what was interesting is that the volatility was almost identical between the first-tier and the second-tier, and the ability to get out during the different times of the cycles were almost the same. And a lot of people think that just because you're in a primary market, it's going to be easier to sell, right? And what this research showed is that's not, you know, necessarily the case. Um, oh, that's true. true. And, and no, what I'm going to say is sometimes the folks in um, who, who may be in a, you know, they're, they're, it's a family office or a high net worth investor who – they don't live in one of these gateway cities. So they may be more comfortable actually investing in a property that is in a market that's more familiar to them. So let's say somebody lives in Omaha. Well, chances are they're going to know that market better than they are any other market. So maybe they're more comfortable investing in an Omaha versus a Los Angeles. Yep. Yep. No, that, that you're a hundred percent right. I mean, and, and because when you that's why it's location, 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 right? And when you understand who the players are or what's going on, or you know if there's gentrification happening in certain parts of the city, you're going to know that when it's in your, your backyard per se, right? Yeah, well, you drive by it all the time. Whereas, you know, if you are an investor in, you know, if you stick with the Omaha example, if you're in Omaha, but you go to New York occasionally you're going to have a much better grasp of what's happening in your hometown market than you are yep. in New York City, unless you're in New York City constantly. And even then, um, it's just harder to get a, a handle on what's happening in such a huge market like that versus your own backyard, as you mentioned. Right. And I, and I think because of the fragmentation of real estate and the um, inability to get some 
great market intelligence, maybe, um, you know, you, it does help when you've got those boots on the ground or you're working with somebody who has that expertise in that particular market, right? Well, and I'm not part of a family office. I'm not a high net worth investor. But if I put myself in their shoes, I would feel the same way. You know, I, for instance, I grew up in Kansas City. I live in Austin. I'd be much more comfortable investing in a market like that that I have intimate familiarity with rather than, you know, let's say going to Seattle or um, some other market that I'm just not that familiar with. Um, unless you've got somebody, as you said, boots on the ground who is very familiar with that market and understands the fundamentals of that market so that you are essentially reducing your risk simply by knowing um, what the market conditions are like. Correct. So, you know, you bring up the topic of, of uh, interest in yield for family office high net worth investors. I, right before this, this call, I was on a panel, and um, one of the things that I was talking about is what I've seen over the last couple of years is that a lot of families have gotten away from um, – uh, investing strictly as an equity play, but are looking more for yield, whether it's a cash flowing asset or providing debt, let's say, uh, for an asset or investing into a debt fund of sorts. So that yield is, is definitely um, has been a great interest, especially because banks just simply aren't paying, you know, any rates at all. Right. And, and I hear that from a lot of people, who I talk to, the the word yield that that is something that is really an essential driver for family offices and high net worth individuals. Um, that's why you're seeing them more interested in assets like um, hotels in secondary and tertiary markets or single net lease properties like a dollar store or a drugstore, mm -hmm. something where they can see a long runway for that income coming in. And um, it may not end up yielding as much when you sell the asset, but over time, um, you know, th there's some very stable assets like a McDonald's, you know, they're, they're a very, um, they were, they're a very good credit tenant. And so, um, you, you know, that would be something that would, potentially be a good investment if it's in the right market versus um, something that's in a um, flashier location or is a flashier type of property. Right. I also think that with where the market is today, um, you know, as the cost of construction increases, continues to increase, as well as, um, you know, real estate, more and more developers are developing more that, you know, even taking that step back in risk is just smart by itself. Um, sure. With having a cash flowing asset or, you know, getting some type of a yield. Well, also, I think you're seeing, too, um, folks who are maybe had invested in apartment buildings, for instance, in the past, and those tend to be very management heavy, whereas a net lease property, um, there's not nearly as much um, – management required on a property like that and you've got one tenant versus hundreds and potentially you know over a thousand tenants if it's a really big apartment building um same with hotel certain hotels i mean you know you've got to 
put guests in those rooms every single night, whereas with a net lease, single tenant net lease, you've got one tenant. Now, the drawback of that is if that tenant leaves, then you're at 100% vacancy versus 100% occupancy. So there, there's a risk there, but um, I, you know, I, I keep hearing people also talking about kind of this hands-off nature. You know, obviously there's going to be some involvement on the investor's part in making sure the asset's performing well, but it's not as labor-intensive from a management standpoint um, to have, let's say, a single-tenant net lease asset versus – a, in a, a one apartment building, let alone a portfolio of apartment buildings. Right. And then, of course, it's, it, that really comes to the importance of how long that lease is for that single tenant and the credit rating, right? So if you're going to hold it for quite a long period of time, which a lot of families want to do that, um, you just got to make sure that that tenant's not going to leave, which is exactly what you've been saying. Well, and, and two, you've got a lot of um, folks – I mean, I was reading something today where um, there's a very high percentage, and I don't remember what the percentage was, but there's a very high percentage of billionaires who are getting up there in years, and they want to be able to pass along their assets to either their family or to charities. And especially in a family situation, if you can pass along an asset that has like a single-tenant net lease has – um, built-in rent increases and is stable versus something that may be more instable in in a large market or even a, a secondary or tertiary market. So, you know, there's there's some of that generational wealth um, aspect is is figuring into investment decisions as well. I I, I would agree with you a hundred percent with what you're saying, John. We're going to take a quick break here. And then um, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the different philosophies that maybe a family office or a high net worth might have in relation to, you know, a private equity fund or institution or whatnot. So let's take a break, and then we'll be right back. Hi, this is Jim Freed, the host of Freed on Business on 880 AM the biz in Miami, and you're listening to the U.S. Family Office Real Estate.com podcast. The podcast provides you real estate information designed specifically for family offices. Make sure you check out U.S. Family Office Real Estate.com for educational information for family offices, including white papers, fact sheets, videos, and podcasts. You'll also find information on specific markets and assets real estate cycles, tax-efficient real estate investing ideas, and much, much more. That's U.S. Family Office, realestate.com. Information for family offices, by a family office. All right, welcome back to U.S. Family Office, realestate.com. Today our guest is John Egan. He's a freelance writer for a number of publications and clients and uh, has covered the area of real estate and over the last six months has specifically been given a mandate to write about family offices with National uh, Real Estate Investor Magazine. So, John, um, before the break, we were just, uh, I was just mentioning that I wanted to, to get your thoughts on, you know, the philosophies that you see 
which are different between the family office, the high net worth people, and other types of investors like private equity funds or institutions or insurance companies. Well, I think one of the things that, that and we touched on this, is the aspect of yield, that that's very important to the folks who are from family offices or who are high net worth investors. Um, and it may, you know, obviously um, a private equity fund or somebody like that who's investing in a property does want yield, but that seems to be of greater importance, at least now, to the high net worth investor and um, the family offices. Um, you've also got maybe a little longer term look at um, the investment, um, again, playing into the aspect of wanting that steady income coming in from, let's say, a single tenant um, net lease asset or um, looking beyond at wanting to pass along a, a solid real estate asset to um, family members um, down the road so that it's something that um, is, is, a, is a strong, valuable asset that you, know, you, you may not have to turn around and sell right away because let's say if Again, it's a single-tenant net lease asset. Um, there may be an underlying lease of 20 years, and um, that could be a great income producer for however many years are left in that lease once somebody inherits that, that asset. Hmm. So, Okay, so let, let's go back with um, – I still want to take a side move here. Um, so this investor sector – you know, between family office, high net worth, um, you know, there's obviously been an increase in real estate investing just after the downturn, right? But you've been writing about, you know, real estate for the last 10 years or so. Um, have you seen an increase in demand over the last five, six years uh, from these types of investors with real estate? This is just my view of things, but it does seem like um, there's been more activity uh, in terms of folks in those categories who are wanting to um, seek alternative investments. And that could be any number of types of real estate assets that they, they, they feel comfortable with, they want to look at, they feel like it's a good investment. And, um, you know, it's gone are the days where you can just, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I could get a fairly decent um, interest rate on a savings account. Well, that's not true anymore. And, you know, you, you may not want to necessarily put all your eggs in one basket in terms of the stock market. So it's a good way to diversify your portfolio. And, you know, I think with um, both the expertise that has grown over the years and also the advent of technology – it's gotten easier for people to be smarter investors and figure out, you know, have a better idea of what they want to do with their money so that it, it grows um, and that, again, they can pass it along to the next generation or um, charity, you know, we, you know, whatever they decide they want, to, they want to do with that in terms of what their, um, their trust or their will is, is set up for. So what do you see the trend, uh, where the trend is going for these type of investors? Well, I think you're going to see more of that um, 
search for diversity and search for yield and um, not necessarily going where everybody else is going. And that touches upon what we were talking about earlier with geography in terms of gateway markets. You know, there's plenty of markets in the United States and elsewhere that aren't gateway markets where you can um, invest money in a piece of real estate and do quite well. It doesn't have to be um, the trophy property on um, Fifth Avenue in New York or Rodeo Drive in, in Los Angeles, for instance. Um, it can be the McDonald's in Columbus, Ohio, or it can be um, a small apartment complex or a group of apartment complexes in college towns. So, I, you know, I think I, I look back at what, how my grandfather invested, um, and he was strictly into the stock market. And he did extremely well, but I think even today, you know, if, if he were alive and it's still investing, he would probably look at it a little bit differently and, and maybe be a little bit more diversified rather than having all in on the stock market. Now, um, you know, I, I don't remember exactly how he invested, but I would assume he had both, you know, some, um, some risk built in, but also some bond assets or something like that that's, that would be a little more stable um, and, and bring in that money um, to balance any, any losses you might have in other sectors. Well, you know, the, the, from a global perspective, family offices allocate about 15 to 18% of their portfolio um, into real estate. And, you know, I used to do a lot of work uh, with the large institutions, the Carlisles, the Black Rocks, et cetera. And what's interesting is that all of these firms have a box, basically, that they are targeting. So, you know, it's this market, this type of asset, this size, et cetera. And believe it or not, a lot of the, the majority of family offices actually aren't that um, – What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, detailed structured. or yeah. structured? Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. And so, and and you also you you're dealing with entrepreneurs primarily, right? And they had some big exit, um, and so they are willing to look at those secondary, tertiary markets. They are a you know okay with taking on some additional risk. Um, they're definitely going to want those higher yields. And, of course, as you mentioned before, you've got to go to those second, secondary markets and possibly some of the tertiary markets. Um, but it does, uh, you know, it, 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 their capital is able to go to places that that institutional capital won't go to. Well, and not only that, but the only shareholders they have to answer to in the case of a family office, for instance, is the family. They don't have to worry about wall street. They don't have to worry about the board members at, um, a private equity fund. Um, so it gives them more flexibility and, and, you know, maybe, maybe it gives them a little more, uh, flexibility in terms of taking risk. Um, and I think, you know, a very good point is, it gives them the flexibility to venture into markets where the institutional money won't go because it doesn't check off those boxes that you were talking about that. um, And, and it gives, it gives the, an edge to family offices because they don't have to be on that same playing field with the institutional investors who 
probably have a lot more money than than the family offices do and um can and throw and they can throw around their weight a lot more easily and bid up bid up um properties whereas you know if you're going to a market where institutional investors are like we're not interested you have a better chance of competing for an asset and maybe not having to bid it up as much well not only that but one of the big things that um is often discussed with family offices is the ability to have patient capital. So a lot of these these institutions uh, or private equity funds, you know, they might have a fund which has a term of seven years or ten years, where family offices can hold on that thing forever, and so you don't have to sell if there's a downturn, right? You can hold on to it. Right. So that that that's also extremely beneficial um, as an investor because you're reliant, you can make better decisions. Sure, sure. So let me ask you a question. What are, what have over six last six months since you um, had this mandate to focus on family offices with national real estate investor? What kind of articles have you uh, written, and what type of topics have you uh, written about? I think I try to focus on areas that maybe open people's eyes about ways they can invest that may may not have thought of or may not be um, top of mind, may not make all the splashy headlines. Um, you know, a good example is a story I did about um, secondary and tertiary, tertiary market hotels and interest among um, family offices and high net worth investors in those assets. And frankly, that's not something that I would have necessarily thought of as an asset class. But if you can get in there, get it at a good price, and you see it, that, um, that that community, wherever that is, has growth potential, you know, economic population, tourism, all those things that would drive a hotel, then that's, you know, that that could be a great investment for you and you don't have to go to um, a New York City or a Los Angeles or San Francisco or someplace where the market those markets are just flooded with people who are trying to dump their money and get assets in those gateway markets and you see that a fair amount with um, foreign investors because that's what they're familiar with they're familiar much more familiar with the gateway markets than they are uh, the non-gateway markets. Right. Well, so as you go along, you know, what what are some of the other items or topics that you've thought about writing uh, for the magazine in the future? Do you have like a, a, a few ideas uh, that you've put together that you want to explore? Well, I came across one today actually that um, I would like to explore, and that is – um, how more money from family offices is going into adaptive reuse of properties. So it's not just a matter of that sheer investment, you know, getting the yield, getting the, you know, the potential for selling that asset at some point and getting a good return on it. Um, I think you're seeing some of that money going behind projects where they feel like they've got some passion about it, that they're making a difference rather than simply getting money out of it. Um, 
that there's maybe a little bit of a societal um, aspect to well, some of the investment? Well, what, what I would suggest, uh, and just a thought, but um, whoever you interview about this or you, you go into details, I would ask if that is coming from the second or third generation, or is that philosophy coming from the first? Because um, from my experience, these, um, the, the, the younger generations are the ones that are really pushing for these, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, for uh, you know, the different type of investing that's good for the environment or impact investing, right? And so they're yeah. more driven about what the investment is for rather than the returns, which is exactly what you're talking about. So I'd be curious, you know, when you research what you find out, because I wouldn't be surprised if it is these, these younger generations. I suspect that that's what the, what the case is, that you've got um, younger um, second and third generation folks who are pressing um, their um, – the, the matriarch or patriarch of the family to make those sorts of decisions so that there's a lasting effect from the investments more beyond just being able to um, generate wealth. It's also um, generating some sort of positive impact for a community. And I could see where that would be especially um, important to a family if that's if that investment is happening where they live or where they do business. Right. Right. Correct. Well, John, I think we could, we could probably go on for quite some time um, with going through additional questions. And so I think it might make sense at some time in the future to, you know, continue this conversation um, for the podcast. Cause you know, when we distribute this, we, we do this with a focus to family offices in particular and I think with your um, experience and, and what you've written about is, is obviously beneficial. Well, and it certainly has been an education for me because it's, um, you know, when, when you get immersed in that, then you start, start discovering the nuances of that type of investment and have a better sense of what's happening on the ground and, and what, you know, what little wrinkles there are in terms of um, maybe some new ways that people are thinking of um, in investing that, that money. Well, I can tell you that, you know, from my perspective, happy to always be a resource if possible. And if I can't help answer a question, perhaps I know the other people that can. So we're happy to, to help, which is, you know, why we started this podcast in the, in the beginning is to simply provide education in, a, in an area that some people might not know from the simple fact that they spent the last 40 years, you know, building a chemical company. Um, and so although they know chemicals, they don't understand real estate. And, well, uh, and that's, that's, why that's, a, extremely... that's a very good Go point because I've had people tell me that, you know, it's, it, you always have to remember it's a real estate asset. You know, it's it's not a savings account. It's not a bond. It's not, you know, there are there are going to be ups and downs with that property, perhaps, and you just have to be prepared for that. It's not um, something that you can just kind of set it and forget it. It has, to, you know, there is some care and and nurturing that that needs to go into making sure that asset performs. Well, you're you're 100 right, and actually, the the family office that I worked for before here. Um, 
who had created their wealth primarily in real estate initially had an exit, uh, the sale of a yogurt company, got about a million and a half dollars, and he invested in a bunch of real estate, and he went over to Europe to write a book. Well, he ended up coming back and taking it from his own hands in the real estate. And, you know, he was like, I didn't realize real estate really is a business. And he thought he could just invest in some of these properties and, you know, he'd, get, he'd make all this interest and stuff. So I think it just goes back to that if you're going to do it yourself, make sure that you know that it is going to take uh, energy, time and energy. Um, and if you're going to invest as an LP, make sure that, you know, you're investing uh, next to an experienced sponsor who has a great track record or another family office that, you know, not only has the experience but also a platform that you can piggyback on. Well, and I always think, I, doubt, I highly doubt that Warren Buffett doesn't know how his investments are performing. I mean, you know, you, you, you've got to stay on top of it and, and know when maybe you need to get out of an investment or maybe when you need to uh, bulk up on, an, on a, an investment type because it's got growth potential. So, um, like I said, you right. can't set it and forget it. No, and, and, and it is an investment for sure. So, well, John, um, today we had John Egan, who's a uh, freelance writer for a number of publications and, and uh, clients, uh, focused in the area of real estate and actually um, focuses on family offices in real estate for a great magazine, which is National Real Estate Investor. Um, John, I, I want to thank you very much for the time today. Like I said, there's a lot more information that, that we could have gone over and a lot of questions to ask, so maybe we'll, we'll have you back at another date. But um, thank you so much for, uh, for your time today and being on the show. Thank you.